Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, February 24th, 2020, and today we are continuing our study on the epistles that John wrote, and today we will be looking specifically at 3rd John. And we come to this third epistle of John, the shortest book in the Bible. While 2 John has one less verse than 3 John, 3 John has about 20 less words in both the Greek and in most English translations. You know, 3 John is strictly a personal letter which doesn't bring any major doctrine to the forefront. The main theme of this short letter is gospel hospitality. This is what John says in 3 John. The elder to the brother Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you were walking in the truth. Have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all of your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diophrathes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring it up, what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil is not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Had much to write you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. You see, the epistle is written to the elder Gaius, which would have been a Greek name, but his Roman name would have been Caius. And we learn from other places in the word uh, uh, some about this Gaius whom this letter is written to. First, he was from Macedonia and a close companion of Paul. We learn in Acts chapter 19, verse 29, that so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. So Gaius was a close companion of Paul. He was was a travel companion. And also he was a Macedonian, we learn. But second, we learn that Gaius was one of the few who Paul had actually baptized. Again, being significant and signifying that he had an intimate relationship, an intimate friendship and service to Paul, right? Paul boasts in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, that, that he had not baptized many when he says, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. But then he does say, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. We know from this verse and, and others that Paul did baptize Gaius. He was one of the few that Paul 
baptized. Therefore, we know because Gaius was baptized by Paul that he would have been a very close, intimate friend, an intimate partner in ministry. And then third, we learned that Gaius was known for his hospitality to the church of Jesus Christ and her members. Paul writes of this hospitality in Romans chapter 16, verse 23, when he says, Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church, greets you. So Gaius was a close traveling companion of Paul, a Macedonian. He was, had an intimate relationship as he was baptized straight by the apostle Paul. And he was a man that was known for his generosity and his hospitality. Then we see in verse 4 of, of 3 John, that John, like his, has been his custom, he calls fellow believers children. This is an exemplification of the love for which he had for the church, for those who were, he was shepherding, and for his fellow brothers and sisters. And from his tone set forth in verse 4 and the opening, we can tell right, that even John has a great relationship with Gaius. And he means this letter to exhort Gaius and encourage him towards gospel hospitality. He is a beloved child. He is a beloved believer. He is a beloved elder. And, and John is, is setting this, this letter apart to exhort and encourage him towards gospel hospitality. So I want us to see three quick takeaways that we see from the short epistle of what we can learn from gospel hospitality. First, gospel hospitality is noble and it is essential. Verse 5 of 3 John says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on a journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that they may be fellow workers for the truth. Gaius had obviously continued his custom of hosting his brothers and sisters as they traveled and made the gospel known. While he may not have had a relationship with them previously, he is hosting strange, not strangers, right? He's, he's not just hosting strangers, he's hosting brothers and sisters. Yes, he may not have known them previously, he may not have had a relationship, but he is hosting his brothers and his sisters, although physically they may be strangers. He was showing hospitality, not because of a physical relationship, but because of a spiritual familial connection. That's why the brother, uh, the brother who wrote Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Beloved, we have more in common with the family of God than we do with our physical family and closest acquaintances who do not know Christ. We must seek to show love, hospitality, friendship. This should change the way we pray and the way we give of our time, our talent, and our ability to serve the body of Christ at home and around the world. We grieve with our brothers and sisters who are affected by persecution and famine and nakedness. And we grieve with our brothers and sisters who are affected by the coronavirus today in China and other parts around the world. A letter was passed on by one particular pastor in Wuhan who asked that this letter be circulated to his global brothers and sisters, those that were living around the world. He writes to us this. He says, brothers and sisters, peace be unto you. During these past days, the Wuhan pneumonia virus has been at the center of my thoughts and lives. I am always watching the latest news and always thinking about how our family and the church should face this. As for family, I've gathered masks and foodstuffs and ventured out of doors as little as possible. 
When venturing out in public, I have worn a mask, but as for the rest, I have placed it in the Lord's hands. As for the church, the safety of the congregation, a faithful witness, the possibility that members could contract the illness have all become a great area of struggle. It is readily apparent that we are facing a test of our faith. The situation is so critical, yet we are trusting the Lord's promises, that his thoughts towards us are peace and not evil, Jeremiah 29, 11, and that he allows for a time of testing, not to destroy us, but to establish us. Therefore, Christians are not only to suffer with the people of the city, but we have a responsibility to pray for those in the city who are fearful and to bring them to peace of Christ. First, we are to seek the peace of Christ to reign in their hearts, Hebrews 3.15. Christ has already given us his peace, but his peace is not to remove us from disaster and death, but ra rather to have peace in the midst of disaster and death, because Christ has already overcome these things, John 14, 27, John 16, 33. Otherwise, we have not believed in the gospel of peace, Ephesians 6, 15, and with the world would be terrified of pestilence and lose hope in the face of death. Why do only Christians have this peace? Because of sin. Humans deserve the trials and tribulations that come upon them. Jehovah says the wicked have no peace, Isaiah 48, 22. We are all sinners, but Christ, because of faith, took our penalty and gave us his peace. Therefore, Paul says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, Romans 8, 33. Christians may, with the world, face the same tribulations. But such tribulations are no longer punishment, but a new opportunity to grow near to the Almighty, to purify our souls, and an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. In other words, when disaster strikes us, it is but a form of God's love. And as Paul firmly believed, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 35 to 39 spoken for today. Wuhan's pestilence cannot separate us from the love of Christ. This love is in our Lord Jesus Christ. These words are so comforting for us. We've already become one body with Christ. We have a part in his sufferings and we have a part in his glory. All of Christ is ours and all of ours is Christ. Therefore, Christ is in us as we face the pestilence in the city. The pestilence cannot harm us. If we die in the pestilence, it's an opportunity to witness to Christ and even more to enter into his glory. Thus, my brothers and sisters, I encourage you to be strong in Christ's love. If we more deeply experience death in this pestilence, understanding the gospel, we may more fully and deeply experience Christ's love and grow ever nearer to God. Our Lord Jesus, through faith, experienced an incomparable suffering of death. Yet God raised him from the dead and set him at his right hand. Acts 2, 32-36. If in reading these truths you still have no peace, I encourage you diligently read above cited scripture and call on the Lord to give you insight until the peace of Christ reigns in your heart. You must know that this is not just an observable disaster, but even more a spiritual struggle. You should first wage a battle for your heart and secondarily battle for the soul of the city. We earnestly hope that you would know that not a sparrow falls without the will of the Father. Matthew 10, 29. With so many souls facing pestilence, can it be outside of God's will? all that we are experiencing. Is it not like Abraham facing Sodom and Jonah facing Nineveh? If God, because of a righteous man, withheld judgment on Sodom or because of 12, 120,000 who didn't know that their left hand from their right withheld destruction, what of the city of Wuhan in which we live? 
We are clearly the righteous in the city, far more than a single person, single righteous person. There are thousands and thousands of us. Yet, may we be like Lot, be grieved over those in the city. 1 Peter 2, 7. And like Abraham, who earnestly prayed for Sodom, Genesis 18, 23-33. You see, Jonah, with difficulty, proclaimed the gospel to Nineveh, and Nineveh repented and was saved. We are the city's Abraham and Jonah. We must pray for God's mercy upon the city and bring peace upon the city through our prayers and our testimony. I believe this is the command of God calling those of us living in Wuhan. We are to seek peace for the city, seek peace for those who are afflicted with this illness, seek peace for the medical personnel struggling on the front lines, seek peace for every government official at every level, seek peace for all the people of Wuhan. And we can, through online networks, guide and comfort our friends and loved ones with the gospel, reminding them that our lives are not in our own hands and to entrust their lives to God who is faithful and true. The past few days, I have received many inquiries from foreign pastors. They and the whole church are concerned for the city, even more for us in confronting this epidemic. Seek to serve the city with us. Thus, I specially ask them to turn their eyes upon Jesus. Do not be concerned with my welfare, nor be agitated or fearful, but pray in the name of Jesus. Good-hearted people are, through their actions, serving this city, especially the medical personnel who are risking their own lives. If they can take on such worldly responsibilities, how can we not be more readily take on the spiritual responsibility of prayer? If you do not feel a responsibility to pray, ask the Lord for a loving soul, an earnestly prayerful heart. If you are not crying, ask the Lord for tears, because we surely know that the only hope of the Lord's, it's only through the hope of the Lord's mercy that this city will be saved. A Wuhan pastor. Beloved, gospel hospitality is noble and essential, both in the way that we pray and in the way that we give of ourselves. We must be ready to entertain strangers unaware. We must be willing to show gospel hospitality to our brothers and our sisters. But don't forget that Gaius is from Macedonia and specifically from Derby. This was not a wealthy city or region, and most probably Gaius was not abundantly wealthy himself, but he gave what he could and what he had. Verses 6 through 8 remind us that, that Paul told the Corinthians about the church at Macedonia. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Beloved, for us in ministry, we are, aren't amongst the most wealthy or affluent in our community. But I want us to see from God's word that we aren't responsible for what we don't have, but we are responsible to show gospel hospitality with what we do have. Everything we own is his, and so we support the body through prayer, opening up our homes, giving of our time, and providing a meal. So first and foremost, John reminds Gaius that gospel hospitality is noble, and it's essential. But second, John reminds us that gospel hospitality includes loving confrontation, which helps healthy ministry flourish. John informs Gaius that Diotrephes is exalting himself and challenging John and the other church elders' authority. He has become a troublemaker and is causing relational discord. Diotrephes has even refused to show hospitality to the brothers in the church, and he's even running the church more like a club, a social club or a fraternity than the family of God. And John informs Gaius, I will confront him. 
and then face to face, we can't bring resolution, then I will take it to the church. You see, healthy ministry means healthy confrontation. Healthy relationship means we are willing to confront our brother in love. We must lovingly tell one another when we are hurt. We must first always go to the offender, no matter if they are a supervisor, a peer, someone we lead, someone of more noble standing, we must always first go to the offender. If my brother offends me and instead of going to him, I tell other friends, I tell other close companions of how he has hurt me, then I've robbed my brother of the opportunity of asking for forgiveness and clarifying the problem. I also run the risk of creating discourse between multiple people and creating additional issues. You see, if I go and tell others that my brother has defended me, then I have created hostility between my brother and these other people. Oh, I have not built up the body of Christ, but I have torn it down. And beloved, I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. Not going to my brother when I'm hurt, not going to my brother when he's offended me, not going to my brother when he's wronged me, but instead going to others. But we need to heed the words of 3 John and realize that gospel hospitality, if we are gonna show hospitality to our brothers and sisters, it includes lovingly confronting them. And that will ultimately help our ministry flourish. It ultimately helps the gospel go forth. When we show the love of Christ like this, we are showing that we are distinctively different because we have been marked out by Christ. Gospel hospitality includes loving confrontation, which helps ministry flourish. But third and final, gospel hospitality is an action which bolsters, bolsters true faith as faith is proven by our actions. Apparently, Demetrius was the courier of these letters from John to Gaius. Demetrius has given a good testimony of the hospitality from the brothers and the body of Christ. He has seen genuine faith because of how the church serves one another, including strangers. So John adds an exhortation in verse 11 when he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. You see, when we show genuine care, concern, and hospitality, then we are bolstering the faith of others and showing our faith is genuine and based in Christ, in Christ alone. John reminds Gaius to remain the course. Don't give in to the ways of diatrophies and descend to his level, but continue to show genuine love and faith. And so as we saw echoed last week, and it bears another reminder, John closes out this letter with the promise to visit and speak face to face. He has things that he wants to make sure aren't missed through written word, that they aren't misunderstood with wrong assumption of tone. He wants to make sure that he can say these things face to face with Gaius and others. Let this be a reminder of us that part of showing gospel hospitality is showing action in the way that we seek after people, in the way we seek to be face to face, in the way that we seek to love our brother in the way that we seek to, to show the hospitality of the kingdom. So let us know that gospel hospitality is a noble endeavor. Let us know that true gospel hospitality means loving confrontation of our brothers and sisters to help ministry flourish. And let us know that gospel hospitality ultimately shows our faith as we live for and breathe for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the reconciliation that comes from that gospel. Well, thank you for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Taiwan. We're praying specifically that the nation of Taiwan would be protected from the spreading of the coronavirus, that they would have political freedom to make the decisions necessary to protect their people. We pray for our partners in Taiwan, Cathwell, that the Lord would sustain the work they are doing in Taiwan with birth mothers and vulnerable children, and that all would remain healthy and safe. We're praying for the gospel to go forth in Taiwan. We pray for the grip of Buddhism and ancestor worship to loosen and the God of the gospel to triumph. We're praying for growth and awareness of the special needs program as we continue to advocate for children. 
We're praying for a family to come forward for a specific sibling group of four who may be split up soon if a family's not found. We're praying that God would protect children while they wait and place Christian caregivers and foster families in their lives. We pray that Cathwell and Taiwan would be more open-minded to expat adoption, out-of-birth order adoption, and larger family adoption. We praise the Lord for the hearts of the workers at Cathwell as they truly desire what is best for the children in their care. We praise the Lord for growing openness to our out-of-the-ordinary perspective adoptive parent situations. And we praise God for two children and two families who will be traveling soon to bring those children home, an older boy and an older girl. Praise the Lord that these families are bringing home these children. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to work in Taiwan. We pray that you would protect this island nation from the coronavirus and any spread. We pray that the people would have freedom to protect themselves and their families. Pray for the church of Taiwan to be strong during the time of the coronavirus. We pray specifically for our partners that they would be able to sustain the work that they are doing, even amidst lockdowns and and, and the spread of this virus. We pray that the gospel would go forth in Taiwan. Lord, we certainly do pray that you would loosen the grips of Buddhism and ancestor worship and and that there would be a growth and awareness of the gospel and the gospel would triumph. Lord, we pray for Cathwell and our partnership for adoption and pray that you continue to help it flourish and to grow, that you would use it uh, for your glory and for your name and for your namesake, that you would bring families, especially families, for the sibling group of four so that they could be kept together, they could stay together. Lord, we praise you for what you are doing for this older boy and this older girl who soon will be coming home to wherever her families. God, we know you love this island nation. We pray that you would reach out your great grace, that many people would come to the saving grace and knowledge of Christ Jesus. We pray that the church that is known by your name in Taiwan would be marked out by gospel hospitality, that they would know it's a noble endeavor. Lord, that they would know that they must godly, uh, with, with godly love and godly concern confront one another in so doing that the ministry would flourish. And, and Lord, that their gospel hospitality would be a testimony of their faith and a testimony of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, it's in your great name that we pray for the nation of Taiwan and for this world and for the 153 million orphans. We love you. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.